Plavin, please. Romans chapter 11, starting with verse 1. I say then, as God cast away his people, a question that in our world today, a lot of people's answer to that is yes. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, people who have been born again, you really need to settle in your hearts where you individually stand with the nation of Israel and with Jewish people. It is crucial. It is very, very important. I believe that if we are living in the end times and people are going to be falling away from the faith, that one of the things that will distinguish that falling away from the faith will be a people's stance on the nation of Israel. Because the whole world is going to turn on them. Okay, and you and I as believers in Jesus, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to see the importance of Israel in the last days. Because there are Christian churches that discount the Jewish people and put themselves in the place of Israel. It is not good. It is not scriptural. Okay, it is heresy. Paul's letter here in the Romans, we've been going through 10 chapters so far, and we've seen Paul speak to the Jewish people. He's spoken to the Gentiles, the pagan people, and he's also spoken to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Tonight, as we open up, where it says, I say then as God cast away his people, certainly not, for I am also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. We're going to see that in chapter 11, he is addressing Gentiles, but he is also going to be addressing Jews now in the future time for them to see the promises of God and that they are not a forsaken people. Paul, remember, genius, rabbi, going up in the rankings of the Pharisees. And then Jesus sheds his grace on him and his eyes are opened. And he becomes a Messianic Jew. He becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. His whole world changed for the better. Maybe not in a worldly sense, but in a spiritual sense, and he knows he made the right decision for the past 2,000 years because everything that he believed in, he is now in the presence of Jesus and he sees everything that, everything came true. Now, there was a king who questioned the authority of the scriptures. And one of the chaplains said, well, I can prove the authority of scriptures in one word. 
And the king looked at him and says, well, what do you mean you can tell me in one word? How, how is that possible? And he goes, well, it's very easy. Well, the king goes, what is that word? And the chaplain goes, Israel. Just Israel itself. Think about this. Genocide, the name genocide, wasn't really used till after World War II and everything that happened with the concentration camps. The word Holocaust means burnt offerings. Think about that, burnt offerings. And think about Hitler and the, his close guys were always said to be involved in the occult. And of course we know what happened in the concentration camps where over six million Jews were killed through gas, through being incinerated. Go back to Pharaoh and the Jewish baby boys in Exodus 1 where the little infants were killed. Or how about Balak and his attempt to curse Israel in Numbers? How about Haman and his attempt at genocide in the book of Esther? Think about the Babylonian conquest and the murdering of many, many Jewish people. Think there were two Roman conquests. In one conquest, one million Jews were killed by the Romans. And in the second Roman conquest, almost another million were killed. During the Crusades, even though the Crusaders were pursuing the Muslims, there were also battles where in one area a thousand Jews were killed. Mention the concentration camps in World War II. Over six million Jews were killed, of which 1.5 million were babies and children. Hitler got very close to winning World War II. And if he had won, over 18 million Jews would have been murdered. 18 million compared to the six, over six that were killed. Prime Minister Menachem Begin, back when he met with survivors of the Holocaust at the Wailing Wall, he gave a speech, and at that speech, he addressed them and said, I know many of you have lost your faith in God because of what took place in World War II. But I encourage you to believe in God. God acted on your behalf in the nick of time to save the rest of the Jewish race. God's preservation of his people of Israel is evidence of the truth of Scripture. God, let me say that again. God's preservation of people of Israel is evidence of the truth of the Scriptures. The nation of Israel is proof of God's Word being true. God has always delivered, He is not a liar. His promises, there's many promises that still have to be fulfilled to the Jewish nation. 
And we talked about this in Romans, if you remember. He has not forsaken his people. He will not forsake you or me, no matter what kind of tragedies come our way, what kind of things take place in our life or in our world or in our country. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's his promise. He is not a liar. Back in 1948, a tremendous, tremendous miracle took place. Prophesied in the scriptures with Israel after a couple thousand years coming back and becoming a nation. No other nation has ever done that. They were scattered throughout the whole world. But yet in 1948, they were made a nation once again. In Psalm 89, verses 33 to 35, God says, But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. In Psalm 94, 14, he says, For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Think about this in that first verse. I say then, has God cast away his people? Those are just a few verses. There's hundreds of verses that support that God would never forsake Israel. Ever. If you want to do some neat study on this, during the United Nations and the different leaders of the countries just a few weeks ago, Chosen People Ministries had some Messianic Jewish scholars right in Manhattan. And if you go on Chosen People Ministries and you check out, they had several speakers that talked about the current condition of Israel from all different perspectives from looking at the Talmud, from looking at the New Testament, from looking at various other portions of the Old Testament. I really encourage you to do that. It will really help you in this area to shed some light on what the Lord's plan is for His people. In Jeremiah 31, 35 to 37, it says, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed odor of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all they have done, declares the Lord. So if you catch it, what I just said, the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roared, roar, the Lord of hosts of its name. And if this fixed order departs from before me and you can 
measure the heavens above and the foundations of the earth below, then Israel can be forgotten. You can forget about Israel if that can be done. But guess what? That cannot be done. We can't measure the heavens. We can't measure the foundations of the earth. This is another one of God's promises in Jeremiah. Verse 2. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Notice in verses 2 through 3, one of the things that is mentioned, or that it looks like, that he's the only guy. There's no one else around. Elijah thought he was the lone believer left. But watch what happens. And we have to see how limited our knowledge is. We have to get into God's word to expand our knowledge so he can shed light through the power of his Holy Spirit on things that we don't know. There's plenty we don't know. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. We still don't know all those things that God still wants to shed his light on in his word. So by being faithful to his word, he will bring you along those spots to shed light during your walk with him all the days of your life. We don't want to miss that light shining. We don't want to miss the Lord opening up our eyes to truths that we don't have a clue about. It's very important. So here's Elijah pleading in verse 2 with God against Israel. Notice even Elijah, one of the Israelites, is pleading to God against this nation of rebellious people. And he even mentions, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I am alone and left, and they seek my life. They're after me. These people you call your people, they're after me, and I'm trying to bring them your word. But in verse 4, what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to bow. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. He cries out, and then the Lord says, Elijah, don't worry about it. There's a remnant. There's a group of people that have responded to my grace. Everything's okay, Elijah. I can say confidently in the word of God today, you're a remnant of believers in this earth. You're a minority. There are Jewish people that God has shed his grace on. They're a remnant. There's always going to be a remnant. Even after the rapture of the church, we see in scriptures that there's going to be 144,000 Messianic Jews that are going to go ballistic and lead others to salvation in Jesus Christ, their Lord, as a result of God's grace. Don't ever feel that you're alone. There's a remnant of believers. There's a small group here. But there are millions of believers in this, on this planet. 
God always spares and puts aside a remnant. And notice in verse 5, we can never lose sight of this. Otherwise, our ears become blocked and our eyes become blind and our heart becomes hard. Never think we're in a position of dominance because it all comes down to that last few words in verse 5. There is a remnant according to the election of grace. We looked at this, remember, in throughout Romans, that you and I were called and chosen by God, not because of anything you or I have done. It has nothing to do with your personality or my personality. It was simply God's grace shed on you and he opened up your eyes and you've responded. Other people have been challenged and they've rejected the truth they've been shown. We pray for them that they would accept the Lord, but there are some of those that our hearts are going to be hard all through eternity. Verse 6, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But it, if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And we've seen this where Paul has done this, the work, the works of the flesh versus the work of the Holy Spirit, where you by faith, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's by grace through faith that you're here tonight. Why I'm here tonight. We want God to open up his word to us through the power of his spirit, not through our intellect, not through our um, striving. Remember, Paul is talking to Jews based on the law, based on the first five books of the Bible, and they're knowledgeable of that. He's speaking to the Gentiles who have no clue about the first five books of the Bible. They're pagans. And he's showing them it's by faith in this God, Jesus Christ, who died for your sins. And if you put your trust in him, you're going to be grafted in. And we're going to see that later on in chapter 11. So works are always fleshly. You're striving, you're in the flesh. You're stressing, you're in the flesh. You have peace in your heart, you're not striving. You're not stressing. You're in the Spirit. The Spirit gives you that peace that passes all understanding. Even while everything else can be going crazy around you. Whether it's the world's circumstances or your own personal health. You can have a peace that passes all understanding because you know the one who holds the future even though you don't know the future. Going over to verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, 
to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. Now notice in these verses, verses 7 through 10, it's not everybody. It's not everybody. There's still a remnant that goes against the grain, that are called of God, that are chosen by him. Israel has not obtained what it seeks. What does it seek? It seeks a righteousness. It seeks salvation. It seeks a unity with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But notice the elect have obtained it. How does that happen? Well, the first part of seven, they're working. They're trying to keep the law. They're trying to keep the Ten Commandments or the other 600 laws in Judaism. It's impossible. You can't do that. And we need to keep hearing this because we are fleshly creatures that like to earn our pay. You can't earn your pay, spiritually speaking. We like to think that God owes us something because we're in church tonight, or we prayed this morning, or we've read the Bible in a year. Doesn't work that way. We get to do those things because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We get to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. We get to be here or read the Bible or or pray at any time because of what he did. But people that strive, whether it's the Jewish people, whether it's religious people, they are always going to fall short because it's in their strength. We need the second part, but the elect have obtained it. Have obtained what? Christ's righteousness, salvation, because we're not working for it. It's a free gift. It's through his grace. We can be ping pong ball Christians. We can go to works, to the spirit, to the works, to the spirit. We just want to stay on the spiritual side. That happens in your fellowship with Jesus Christ 24-7, 365. It happens when you hang out with him, talking to him, reading his love letters. Hanging with him more than you hang with anyone or anything else. He transforms you. There's a supernatural thing that takes place because he knows you're committed to him. He knows how much you care for him. Verse 8, God has given them a spirit of stupor. Basically, that means spiritual blindness, a deep sleep. This world that we live in, when it comes to spiritual things, they're blind and they are in a deep sleep. They're walking around with their eyes open. They're going to work. They're watching TV and going to the movies. They're doing all that stuff, but they are blind. They're in a deep sleep. There's only one thing or one person that can wake them up and open their eyes, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's where we, dear people, are intercessors for the people that are blind, whether you know them or not. Pray for the lost souls that you pass every day. 
You pass more lost people in a day than you do save people. Pray for them. You may never see the result of that prayer, but understand God is faithful. I believe that somebody will come up to you one day in heaven and shake your hand and say, I want to thank you for leading me to Jesus. And you're going to go, I don't even know who you are. Oh, yeah, the Lord showed me that time when I was 20 years old, you walked by me on the streets and you just said, you said a quiet prayer. And that started the spiritual wheel moving. The seed was planted or watered and God just opened my eyes. I just want to thank you. I think heaven's going to be full of incidences like that. Blessing those people who were intercessory prayer warriors on this earth. Seriously, think about it. Pray for the lost. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. What does that mean? Think of a table. Where do you see a table? Usually in a place where there is food, fellowship, hanging out, family. You're comfortable. You're in your comfort zone. Well, look at this. Let's apply that. Their table became a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Why? Because they were in a false security of what they were doing, whether it was religious traditions, whether it was religious rituals, whether it was good works versus bad works. They were in a false security and their table became a snare. The place they thought they were comfortable, you know, yeah, we're the Jewish people, we're uh, children of God. They rested in that. But that meant nothing. The Bible, we see that, that not everyone who was born from Abraham was a child of Abraham. Not everyone who was called a Jew was a Jew in their heart. Not every Christian who says that Jesus is Lord and Savior is a Christian. Just because you go to a Christian church doesn't make you a Christian. There's a depth of understanding. Some people think they're Christians because they go to church Christmas and Easter. Or a christening. Or a baptism. You know what I mean? They just think because they do four or five things a year, they're Christians. That doesn't make them a Christian. A Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. You go where he goes. You go where he goes. And if you don't have the plan book, if you don't have the Holy Spirit as your GPS, God's powerful spirit to follow, you're going to end up not where he wants you to be. Verse 10, let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. David, again, is addressing the Lord in response to his people. This is associated with the Jewish nation right now. And notice, let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bow down their back always. 
That bowing down their back, think about it. That's a load. That's a, that's a burden. Um, think of slaves being whipped. Think of carrying a heavy load. Their, their backs are bowed down. What is the state of the nation of Israel today with every nation that's around it against it? How are they feeling? Are they in a false security right now? Are they in a stupor as a result of their military being one of the best in the world? Do they put their trust in their military? Most of the things that are going to happen in Israel is going to be a result of where they're put in their strength. And many, many people over there are going to be killed of the Jewish nation. It's going to be worse than the Holocaust one day. But God's going to leave a remnant. God will always leave a remnant. He's faithful to his word. He will not forsake his people. Verse 11. I want to go back to verse 10 again. To apply it to you as a Christian and me as a Christian. And I believe it was mentioned in the song tonight or at least alluded to. You and I need to bow down. In full adoration, not necessarily physically, but we need to bow down our spirits, our hearts. You can lay down, prostrate on the floor if you want to. Okay, or you can stand up and still have your spirit bowed down and laying prostrate. But we need to do that because as the song alluded to, when we bow down, he lifts us up. The lower we get, the higher we get with the Lord. So we need to bow down in humility of what God is doing in our individual lives and collectively in our body of Christ here and throughout the world. Eyes are being opened in the body of Christ. People are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Let's move on to verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Again, Paul asking a question. Have they, the Jewish people, stumbled that they should fall? Now, there's two things here being said. It's one thing if I stumble and get up. It's another thing if I fall and stay down. So the things that are taking place in the lives of not only the Jewish people, but you, okay, are only there to wake you up, to shake you, to wake you. I don't know about you, but I need to be shaken a lot to always be awake and alert. I wish it wasn't that way. But it's easy for me to be comfortable at my spiritual table. I need the Lord to constantly keep me on the edge, spiritually speaking. And he does a pretty good job with that. He knows how to do that real well with each personality that he's blessed you with. I say then, have they stumbled that they should not fall? And notice Paul's answer, certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. <clears throat> jealousy and to, to provoke them to jealousy. Let's look at that for a, a second. Provoke. To excite or arouse someone to want what you have. To provoke is to excite or arouse someone to want what you have. Not to beat them up, but to excite them. 
Oh, I want what that person has. That's awesome. Have you ever talked to somebody? Have you be ever been in the presence of somebody that when they're talking to you, you get excited? It's like, oh, man. Uh, last Saturday down in Janesburg with the Janesburg, um, what was it? T Janesburg? What is it? I can't. Janesburg Festival, Janesburg Day, where so many people were down there. There was a Jewish woman who came to our booth two or three times. She was probably in her 40s to 50s. She was trying to get her husband to come over, but he wouldn't. But she kept coming by, and it was cool. And she even, one of the questions she asked, she goes, well, um, Eric was there, who's a Messianic Jew from this fellowship, and he said to her, do you go to temple? And she said, no, I don't go to temple. He, he goes, yeah, when I was Jewish, I, I didn't either. And the lady was interested. She goes, well, what? Should I start with the Old Testament? Should I just read the New? Should I read the Old? And I said to her, read them both. I said, they're both connected. The stuff in the New is simply things that are, were in the Old. It's revealed. When you read the New Testament, it's Old Testament stuff revealed. And if you know the New Testament, you go back into the Old, you'll see things that are concealed in the Old Testament. But because of your knowledge of the New, you can see the connection. So wherever you start is good. And we're hoping that she comes out to this fellowship one day. She was right from the area. But it was cool to see her excitement at the table because of the people that were there about the book that so many Jewish people were chosen to write. And it was awesome. It, it always blows me away when I see a Messianic Jew or a Jew that received Jesus as a Messiah. It's tremendous. It's a tremendous thing. I want to repeat that verse 11. Besides stirring up that jealousy in them because of our excitement, we don't want to beat up people as a result of their lack of knowledge. We want to excite people, not send them away. Show them what we have is good. There's so many religions that push themselves on other people, and it's a burden again. It's the rituals. It's the laws. Even some religions kill people if you don't accept their way. Verse 12. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Now, as a result of the Jewish people not accepting them as a whole, not accepting God, Jesus as a Messiah on the whole, God turned his attention to the Gentiles, you and me. Didn't forsake the Jewish people. He's using the Gentiles to provoke jealousy in the Jewish people. It's pretty cool. God's system. And as a result of that, the Gentiles are being saved because they're believing by faith. They're not believing because of the law. But if you think about it, think of some of the religions you might have come out of. What was one of the things you were presented? The law. Keeping the law. If you break the law, you need to confess your sins weekly or monthly. 
You have to do penance. Jesus said, it is finished. No penance anymore. I've done it all for you. It's a gift salvation. Walk with me. Walk in the newness of life. Notice that last verse of 12. How much more their fullness. And again, pray for the Jewish people. Pray for a love of them. That when you see their engaging you or others in a conversation, you are pumped up to no end because another Jewish person is coming into the kingdom. That's awesome. We're going to wrap up with the next uh, couple verses. Verse 13, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Now, apostle means a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders. So Paul was a delegate of God. He was a messenger from God. He was set forth with orders, and those orders were the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had great news, good news, to tell the Gentile world that God included them in his plan of salvation. And as we see in these last couple of verses, for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. What does that mean? Magnify my ministry. Magnify to cause the dignity and worth of the gospel to become clearly visible. To cause the dignity and worth of the gospel to become clearly visible. He showed through evidence of lives changed, through, through the church growing, the body of Christ growing, that this was an exciting time. This was huge what was going on, that you didn't have to just listen, but you could see the visible effect of what Jesus Christ, through his death, his life, death, and resurrection, what it means in the life of anybody who puts their trust in him. That's you people. That's me people. God has is living in us. Are we that vibrant, excited, spirit-filled Christian that God wants to go out into a dead, Christ-rejecting world to make it jealous and to be visible of God's touch on mankind? Yeah. Yes. Pastor Joe talking about Caleb, 80 years old, taking a mountain. But I'm too young, Pastor V. No. There was an eight-year-old king, just right? There was an eight-year-old king. There was the, David, a teenager. Mary was a teenager. God is not a respecter of any age. He's a respecter of your heart. Where's your heart? Do you want him to use you now? Tell him, use me now, Lord. That's all it is. And he uses you. He puts you right where he wants you. Last verse, 14. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Notice Paul is doing what he's called to do, going to the Gentile world. Even though he has tremendous grasp of the Torah, of the Old Testament. 
He knows it inside out. But the Lord is using him to a Gentile world to save the Gentiles, but also to stir up his own people. What a tremendous, tremendous thing. My prayer for all of us here, within the sound of this on the CD or the computer, is that you and I would be a Paul to provoke jealousy to all those people, Jew or Gentile, to the magnificence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the good news that is eternal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.